Hey, everyone. This is Chris Ryan from The Ringer. As many of you have heard by now, we lost a treasured colleague and friend over the weekend. Jonathan Charks passed away on Saturday. John was 34. He leaves behind a wife and a son, and we are obviously mourning his loss and sending all of our love to his family right now. If you go to theringer.com slash Jonathan Charks, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S, you will find a memorial page for John which has links to his GoFundMe that benefits his family and the amazing writing he did throughout his experience. I encourage you to go there. And if you can, please support the Charks family. Briefly, I will just say that John was among the first people that we hired to work for The Ringer. So he was instrumental in defining the voice and perspective of the site. He has as much to do with what this place is as anyone else. And throughout his experience with cancer, John communicated eloquently about the challenges he was facing, both through his writing and his podcasting. You could never stop John from talking about his passions. It's one of the things I loved about him. Over the last few months, you know, whenever we would talk, whenever I would reach out to see how he was doing, I would try to keep it very John-focused. And the next thing I knew, we would be talking about James Harden or Better Call Saul. He really loved this stuff. Uh, he loved talking about it, celebrating it, debating it, illuminating it. We're going to keep putting out our pods and writing while we grieve but we wanted to let folks know that John was in our hearts and that his family was in our thoughts. Thanks for listening. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Shiel Kapadia joined by Ben Solak. He's calling this the Carson Wentz revenge game preview. But we're experimenting with a bit of a new format today. I'm going to come up with 10 questions. Some will have to do with the film we saw. Some will have to do with the Washington Commanders. Some will just be general life questions. And Ben, who is on all sorts of meds from his Poison Ivy, I mean, this is an anything can happen episode, will answer those questions and then we will go back and forth. Ben, are you are you excited about your performance? Nervous that something might happen in the middle of this? How are you feeling? I'm feeling better. I just am also <laughs> very... I. I I'm the sort of guy who I don't like to take meds for things. I have a headache, you just drink some water and you get through it. I've never liked to take meds. I don't like the way they make me feel. I'm on meds for the poison ivy, so I stop trying to scratch my skin off. And so I'm just not accustomed to being in this mental state of just like random swells of, of drowsiness and then excitement and then kind of back and forth. You, you, get, you go on a couple different things for poison ivy. So 
I watched the film. I consumed the information. I believe I processed it correctly. We're about to find out. <laughs> All right. So nothing can be held against you in this episode. See, when you're old like me, you take that stuff and then you're just like, I'm going to bed. I need like six hours. Uh, I would have texted right. you guys. We'll pot it like nine tonight when, I, when I'm off then. But you're young and spry. You battle through stuff. So these are the stages of aging. All right. Let's get right, right to it. I mean, Jalen Hurts, the buzz in this city for Jalen Hurts this week has reached, I would probably say, a peak, which makes sense since, since he became the starting quarterback. We talked about him on the postgame pod. What stood out to you when you watched the film with how Jalen Hurts played? Maybe stuff we didn't cover in that postgame pod. Yeah, I think that I... I watched the game live and I thought it was the best passing performance of Jalen Hurts' career. I watched it back and with like a little bit of the excitement worn off, I was like, okay, it was just really good. Like, I, you know, the Quez touchdown was awesome, super far down the field. There's still like, you know, there's middle of the field routes he could take that he doesn't, you know, kind of like felt that might be the case. There's sometimes where he challenges a window and I don't know why he's doing it. Like there was the Dallas Goddard triple coverage corner route, which was like a beautifully accurate What a ball, throw. Like, yeah, gorgeous throw. <laughs> We didn't need to be doing that on second and 10. I don't really know what, what spurred us to this decision. So like, there's like, whenever you go through the film, there's always nits to pick. Like that's part of the process going through the, the Eagles run a simple menu of basic concepts. And if Hertz has it open and has the read that he likes, then he, he's able to hit it and he's ready to throw in his, on his first drop back. Like, you know, if you have Devonte Smith against the linebacker, it's out. And if not, there isn't too much progressing. It's just kind of like, all right, scramble, make stuff happen. With that said, uh, the scramble throw to Quez Watkins, the backside dig, yeah, okay, that that's the sort of play where if I wanted to convince myself of a long and bright future with Jalen Hurts, use that play. Buy time, get out of the pocket, but don't immediately tuck the ball. Still be looking to get to the fourth guy in your progression and then throw an accurate football on the run. Beautiful. The other thing that stands out is... I think his release is faster. I think like in terms of like we talked about Jalen Hurts kind of getting better year in and year out. He's an extremely hard worker, spends a ton of time on his craft. He, because he's such a good runner, he often gets to the top of his drop with like his weight low and with his hands, his, his the ball carriage is low because he's ready to tuck and run. Like that's how he feels he needs to behave. That makes your release longer because when it's time to throw, now you've got to get upright. So you got to pick the, the hips up, pick the weight up a little bit, and you got to pick the ball up a little bit to start the release motion. So Jalen Hurts had like a long release. It took a while. The ball's getting to receivers faster, and I don't think it's because his velocity is better. I think it's because he's, he's in a more ready-to-throw position more often when he drops back. Becoming more comfortable in the pocket, learning better mechanics, finishing up those details, it leads to a faster ball coming out, which is an important thing for Hurts because he has a good arm, but he doesn't have like a Josh Allen laser beam, I can be as late as I want. So he does need to get those margins, and I was impressed with that. So he's definitely better as a passer. It wasn't, you know... Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes nonsense, but it was, as far as we've seen, Hurts, one of his best games as a thrower. Yeah, I remember Andy Reid even back in the day when Peyton Manning was in his prime and, you know, people would ask him, oh, you know, Donovan missed this throw and this throw. And he was basically like, you can look at any quarterback in the NFL on their best day and pick out those plays where they missed stuff. I mean, I looked at this and I mean, the big thing that stood out was just how static and vanilla the Vikings were on defense. I mean, I know we thought yep. that on Monday night, but I really don't understand what their game game plan was not, not to pick on Johnny Gans, but this was like Johnny Gans version 1.0 game plan. We're just sitting back in the same stuff. I don't think Jalen hurts needed deodorant uh, for that game. I don't think the, the armpits were probably sweating that much for him during mm -hmm. that game. So usually we're talking about that for the opposing quarterback. I felt that way for hurts, but I really felt the same way I did uh, after the game. I mean, I think this was bar none, the best he's looked 
as a passer, the best he's looked as a quarterback. You mentioned the Goddard throw. I actually, you know, not that throw specifically, but I felt like he was more willing to try throws that generally he might typically say, I'm going to take off yeah. and scramble for seven yards. And I kind of viewed that as a positive in this game where he's like, I'm going to let it rip. I have confidence. I know what I'm seeing and I'll, and I'll make those completions. So Two things stood out. One is, you kind of touched on it, the, the throws on the move. I mean, we've talked about this before, that generally when he takes off, he makes he's very decisive and he says, I'm going to take off and I'm going to take off and run. In this game, he had some terrific throws on the move. You mentioned the Watkins one. We talked about the one that came back because of the Mylotta holding penalty. I mean, that was an incredible throw. Rolling to his left would have been a 32-yard completion. That thing was oh my hooking. gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the uh, whether his arm strength whether his arm has gotten stronger conversation. I don't know if there's NGS yep. data for that or not, because what you said I think, makes sense. I think mechanically he's better, and that makes the ball come out with more zip. And okay. that's the thing is Hertz always throws a really good go ball. We talk about arm strength. We talk about distance and velocity. Hertz has always thrown a good go ball. He's been accurate on distance, and he has enough distance. He doesn't have like 70-yard Josh Allen arm, but you don't really need that. He has the distance for the go ball. Velocity has been the issue, especially like for a guy who doesn't like the challenge intermediate, who can be a little bit late processing, likes to see it open before he throws it. You need that ball to be fast to arrive in that, that 10 to 15, 10 to 18-yard window. Yeah, the ball that was coming off of Jalen Hurts' hands on, on Monday night looked faster than yeah. it did in, in, in the season previous. I think a lot of that is mechanics, which, again, it's just a testament to the worker. Like a lot of guys talk about that and then it doesn't show up on Sunday. And Hertz doesn't talk about it, does it, and it shows up on Sunday. That's really yeah. It's a, it's a good point. It makes it sweeter when they don't have to talk about it as much and you just kind of see the results and mm -hmm. go, whoa, that, that kind of looks different. But yeah, I think in the past when he got into trouble, it was because the arm wasn't the strongest and he was late. And those two things are a recipe generally for incompletions, for interceptions, for disaster. And you haven't seen a lot of that through two games. And then the other thing was just accuracy under pressure. You know, he had the one throw to Dallas Goddard before halftime, skinny post, seam, whatever, uh, against quarters where he's in the pocket. They don't pick up the stunt on the right side he's getting hit mm -hmm. as he throws and it's just a beautiful ball that gets right past the diving Jordan Hicks in front of Harrison Smith right on the money that's a 24 yard completion that's a three-point throw that gets them into field goal range so I think he had a couple of those also and then it's like we did we don't talk about the running because the running is always there but man that 26 yard touchdown run like if you freeze the if you're listening to this and like are re-watching it freeze that frame when he's at about the 10 yard line and then grab your friends or whoever's in the house, people you right. know, people who don't care at all, and be like, look at this. He actually scores on this play. I mean, there's, what, three or four defenders there. It's not like, you know, they're, they're getting blocked, and he just somehow powers his way into the end zone. So all those are positives, man. It was a version of Jalen Hurts I had not seen before. Uh and it, it's got to be really exciting if you're an Eagles fan to just that one game. You know, it might not happen every week, but if we're in week eight, you can point back and say, hey, week two, he showed he had that ceiling. You can still have that hope that it's there because I wasn't sure if it was there. All right. Question number two. How about the Thursday 10? Does that work for, uh, for you know, uh, you're supposed to name some of this it's stuff, It's not alliterative. Right? It's just two words, yeah. one in front yeah. of the other. Yeah, I know. Tha and ta. Yeah, I don't know. Thursday, Thursday, nope. <laughs> Thursday, then or Thursday, 10 Neither, Thursday, 10 kind of sounds like I have an accent. I kind of like the, the Thursday, 10. Okay. We'll go with that. All right. Who does that version that we saw Monday night of Jalen hurts remind you of if anybody, cause I was kind of just thinking about this randomly and said, I'm going to ask Benny souls what he thinks. Do you have, Do you have a player in mind? 
I do. I thought he reminded me of a more athletic Dak Prescott when Dak Prescott is cooking. I'm not saying he does everything Dak Prescott does at the line of scrimmage. I know Dak is very smart and a very cerebral quarterback. I, you know, And Hurts, I think, definitely on Monday night looked like that. But that version, I thought, wow, if he's going to be that accurate, if he's going to rip some of these throws... And, you know, the athleticism, even when before Dak Prescott's injuries, I mean, I, I think Hurts is kind of on another level from him athletically. So that was just the name that came to mind. You might not have anybody, and that's fine. So it's tricky. It's very, very hard to come up with a holistic comp for Hurts because the physical build is really not matched in the league, right? Like, the best physical analogs are players like Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield, and they just don't play this way right? Uh, they're not the same athletes in terms of runners. So you don't get the necessary like like scrambling boost that you need. Uh, and then for a lot of the other rushing quarterbacks like Lamar and Kyler, uh, they run in different ways. They're tackle yeah. avoiders, they're angle guys, whatever. If there's a recent quarterback that- Hold on. I, I want to guess before you say it. Are you still talking or were you going to say the name? No, no, I was going to say it. Go ahead. Is he a- smaller Cam Newton without the arm. Yeah, but like everyone's a smaller <laughs> Cam Newton without the arm. Cam well, no, had no, his, 100 his run, no, but his running style. But his running style, I think you could say, okay, he's actually able to power through guys where you feel like he's not going to get injured when he does it. I mean, that's rare for a quarterback. But all right, that wasn't it. Who was it, Who is it then? <laughs> In terms of what he was as a passer and how he manages the pocket, the best analog is what like pre-suspension Deshaun was in Houston. Now Deshaun's not the same caliber runner, but Deshaun had problems managing the pocket and he would invite pressure and he would screw around back there. And Deshaun didn't have the best arm, but Deshaun had a lot of zip on the football to get it into tight windows. He had a beautiful go ball that he could throw down the field and he would hurt you with his legs when he decided to run. The decisiveness is Deshaun. Deshaun doesn't run nearly as much as Hertz does. But when Deshaun would decide to go, he would go and he would surprise you. He'd get on top of you and he would get, he would get a big gain. So that like 2018 year Deshaun Watson is a player where I watch Hertz and I'm like, okay, I've seen the way that this works in the NFL. With that said, the, the analog still doesn't work because Deshaun does not break tackles. The, the quarterbacks who break tackles like Hertz are, is Cam and uh, uh, Josh Allen. And that's it. Taysom Hill does not break tackles like this. Like, you know, you're like, you know, your gadget quarterback, whatever. That's interesting. T yeah. Tebow didn't break tackles like this. Like those were also big guys. They did not win through contact like this. Like you have to understand like how to angle yourself, how to like get the timing right, where to get your feet. Hirsch just has that innate. That's just built into his, his, his brain where he knows like on both of those rushing touchdowns, the 26 yard one and the, five, the three yard one, everybody else on the field stopped because he was tackled. Because nobody knows and understands and expects that the quarterback is going to be able to get through that contact the way that he does. He just has it in, in his brain. So it's very hard to find a, a good Okay. Comp. But like when I, when I see him at his peak as a passer, I think, you know, rookie contractor, Sean. That's the second time someone's brought up Tim Tebow to me uh, this week. We were at my daughter's soccer game. And my mom, who is not a sports fan, not an Eagles fan, looked at this dad of a kid and said, he looks like Nick Sirianni. And then my dad, in a later conversation at the same game, pointed out the same guy and said, he looks like Tim Tebow. Now, Tim Tebow and Nick Sirianni do not really do not look, look anything like. What was the age of this kid <laughs> that was getting these comps? No, no, it was a dad. It was a dad, oh, like a okay. daughter. I was going to be like, if uh, there's a kid that yeah. looks like Nick Sirianni, no. that kid's going through something. 
No, I think my dad was definitely more on point. I don't know where my mom's. Uh, I think my mom maybe just wanted to brag that she knew who Nick Sirianni was, so maybe she made that comp. But that's uh, that's enough Tebow for me this week. All right, question number three. What else on the fill offensively? We're still with the offense. Stood out to you, if anything. Two minor things. Uh, one, not a lot of like read option plays. Which is interesting. I don't know if that means anything. It could be a one-off because they didn't want to do it against the Vikings for whatever reason. Eric Hendricks is too smart. But they had their RPOs. They had designed gives. And they had like a couple of designed keeps. And they ran read option in the red zone. Like the first Hertz yeah. touchdown was absolutely a read. But inside, in between the 20s, really not a lot of read option stuff. Which just didn't, didn't like it this week. Curious to see if they want to be more of a designed running team. And they just feel like they can win with their line. And kind of what that ends up looking like moving forward. One, two. Hold on, let me let me follow let, up on that because I have a ahead. question. There, there was there was one play, and I don't I don't know if you remember this one, where it looked like it was a going to be a read option, but Hertz just gave it, and like the edge defender was on mile. I think it was a tackle for loss. Do, yeah. Was that just you know? I'm when watching live. I'm going, is that a you know a yeah. bad read or just a design designed give? Did you have an opinion on that one? There are there were two in the game that I remember being like if this were an option, this is absolutely a give read and Hertz gave it. Or excuse me, this is absolutely a keep read gotcha. and Hertz gave it. So that that's where I'm, I'm coming from with that, where it's like, it, we see NFL teams do this a lot more than college teams. College teams will earnestly run read option stuff. NFL teams want it to look like read option stuff and then they, they just call it the give. Protect your quarterback. He doesn't get hit yeah. as much, right? You know, uh, you're always worried about an edge defender just deciding I'm unblocked. The quarterback might have it. I'm going to beat him. I'm just going to hit him. I, I'm going to go full force into him. And if the back has the ball, somebody else will tackle him. I'm going to go punish the quarterback. So you're trying to protect yourself from that a little bit. But okay. I, the Eagles have run option stuff before. They did against the Lions. So just a little bit less in this game. Interested to see what the trends look like there. The second thing is a player who we have not yet shouted out, who I think has been awesome through the first two weeks, is Landon Dickerson. Dickerson looks really good. Mm. Uh, Kelsey Dickerson double teams just did not lose against the Vikings for four quarters. Uh, because Dickerson obviously played center. He's played all, all across the interior. He's got a really good chemistry with Kelsey. He's got a really good understanding of how to pass off some of these guys, how to get in, into your angles, get into your lanes on the screen stuff. Like he just very clearly understands the tempo. And then he's, he's powerful. He, he's a people mover. He, he, he shoves some guys. Same model looks nice at right guard. Same model is always like your, your fifth best. And if he's good, then everything, everything is, is hunky dory. But as we look to the future of Eagles offensive line play and the post Jason Kelsey world, obviously Cam Jurgens, the expected, uh, inheritor there at center left guard feels really strong Dickerson looks great good one uh I thought Kelsey was an animal in this game there's nothing to you know he's it's yeah. generally the case oh, but um, it didn't stay it didn't stand out in week one but in this game it was he, he was just putting on a show uh Troy Aikman called him out there that draw to Boston Scott that they had on second and 10 for 16 I thought that was a fantastic call yeah Dallas Goddard nice block on that one that was yes so that was nice. Uh, Jordan Mailata, I think probably their worst offensive lineman in this game. Now, if you watch teams around the league, like this isn't like a panic. Jordan Mailata stunk in this game, but I thought he gave up at least a few pressures, gave up a sack, had a false start, had a holding. And so that's just something to sort of keep in mind there. Uh, the other notes I had, one of them you pointed out in the post game, just Devonte Smith, his feel against zone coverage, man. If you're not going to press him and just give him a free release mm -hmm. and tell him to kind of find that space uh, with his route, he's able to do that. He has such good instincts that stood out to me in this game. And then 
I know there's some question like, all right, what, what happened in the second half? They didn't score. And Jalen Hurts was kind of saying that after the game, just going back and looking at it. I mean, their first drive yeah. was an 11 play drive that took 634 uh, off the clock. Okay, so that was a good drive. They got a blocked field goal, but that was a good drive. The next one, they had two false starts, and then they had kind of a botched RPO that I think went down in the book as a sack. It's not like the Vikings changed anything up. It was it was a self-inflicted thing. Uh, they had a holding penalty that negated that Hurts throw that we were just talking about, and then they tried to draw on second and 16. The draw didn't pop, so now you're in whatever, third and 12 or whatever it was, and then you had the interception off of Kenny Gainwell's hands on the screen. And in the last possession, they ran the ball seven times in a row. So like, I didn't see anything yeah. there where I'm going, man, they need to get all this cleaned up before the next game. I, I felt like that was a situation where if they were down by 10 or if it was a tie game, uh, they could have scored there. Now you're cracking up here. What is this? So, so who has funny tweets that you're laughing at here? No, this no, is no, a no, running no. theme. No, funny texts. No, I was legitimately laughing as you were talking because I was thinking about Jalen Hurts' post-game, like the video the Eagles put out, where yeah. he was like, it felt good, it felt great, everything. And then like he remembered he's got to do his thing, and he was like, but we still left money on the table. <laughs> and, it's, and it's actually like very convenient the Eagles scored zero points in the second half. Because then they can all be like, listen, good game, good performance, feeling good. But so much cleanup, so zero points in the second half. You go and you watch them, and they were awesome in the second half. But you yes. just say zero points in the second half, and then it just yeah. like feels... You know, like, oh, you know, like, yeah, one and no every week. It's just, right. it's, it's the domino set up very nicely for like the Eagles kind of uh, uh, culture and their messaging to stay on point. Um, yeah, it's funny because like with the, the my lot of holding penalty and whatever, watching it back, it was actually like a sloppier game than I remembered, right? Like Jalen Hurts dropped a shotgun snap. They did have like three illegal man downfield penalties, which yeah. for as persnickety as the refs are being, you don't draw it up to have an illegal man downfield. That is like an yeah. error in execution. Uh, so there were like mistakes. They just, they were able to get out of so many second and longs and third and medium, third and longs with a really good play from the quarterback. So there is like, you know, stuff to tidy up, but it's not like, oh, 24 points in the first half, zero points in the second half, they got answered. No, they just, you know, put a couple bad flips of the coin. And at that point they had a 17 point lead. So you just take those on the chest and keep going. I love that point, actually, because I hate when coaches after a, a bad offensive game, well, we got in third and long, you know, you got to get a third and manageable. It's like if you watch the really good offenses, it's OK. You know, you had those mistakes yeah. and guess what? You're still able to convert. And they absolutely did that in this game. All right, let's take a quick break and then we will come back with four through ten on this Thursday 10. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's move on to the defense. Number four, Benjamin, what did the Eagles do defensively that worked so well in that game? Yeah, the Eagles said we don't want to be a four-down team in this game. We'll do it if we have to, but that's not what we want to be against this team. And that was really in line with what we saw off of week one. It was encouraging because a lot of our discussion after the Lions game was, okay, this feels pretty easy. You were really good in your five-down looks. You were not good in your four-down looks. Let's investigate the five-down looks more. Let's mess with the personnel a little bit. Let's see what we like and see what we don't like. It's exactly what they did. 
you saw an increase of snaps with the nose tackle, both in Jordan Davis and then also like Javon Hargrave played at the nose. They had like Marlon Tuipolotu at the nose for a little bit. You saw Patrick Johnson get a lot more reps because Patrick Johnson is their like backup outside linebacker drop coverage guy, rush guy, right? Like Josh Sweat, who's usually playing the defensive end spot, spent the whole first drive inside of the tackle, right? He's playing over the, the, the outside shoulder of the guard, more of like a defensive tackle position. So they're, they're pushing the buttons to figure out, okay, what can we get away with in our five down looks? What, what personnel do we want in the field? How do we want this to look? You saw a very clear effect in the way that the Vikings faced it. They didn't want to run into it. When they ran into it, they generally struggled to block it up. Disruption from Hargrave on one play, Cox on the next play, Davis on the third play. No one defensive tackle just took it over, but there's just too much power. There's too much talent in between the tackles there to really feel like you can block stuff up successfully. And then you had good play from TJ Edwards, good run fills from, from your nickels and from your safeties and like everything that flows from that then flows from that. So they're in their five down stuff a lot. A part of being in your five down stuff is it's harder to play your zones because you're going to have to drop one of the outside linebackers into the zones. And you saw Hassan Reddick drop a lot in this game. And when he did, you saw Kirk Cousins go, oh, that guy, and then throw it at him. So that's, you know, these are the exchanges, right? This is what you have to say, what are we comfortable doing? What are we not comfortable doing? That, as we talked about on the, on the post-game show, that hurry up, no huddle drive that the Vikings started the third quarter with was we got the Eagles with only four defensive linemen on the field. Go, 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 right? They knew that, that that's not where the Eagles wanted to be and they tried to attack that. That's where you're sitting in your zone coverage and that's where you're getting this underneath completion to Dalvin Cook, underneath completion to Justin Jefferson and they start nickel and diming you down the field. But of the, the two worlds they lived in, four down and five down in week one, they correctly identified which one was actually working. They made it the base defense in week two and immediately reaped the rewards. Now it's continued fine tuning. It's okay. We're only playing Davis in our five, in our five down stuff. Can we get him in our four down stuff? We're mostly playing man in our five down stuff. Who do we need on the field to get into our zone looks in our five down stuff? You just continue. Like there's so many new personnel in the defense and there's so much variety in who's dropping and who's rushing or whatever that you just have to keep, you know, fine tuning and pressing buttons. But if you're looking for like faith in Jonathan Gannon, I feel like he learned the right lessons week one to week two. Arrow's pointing up. And then, of course, the coverages, which we talked about, you know, did, they did a lot of different things on Justin Jefferson, where, whether they were uh, doubling him, there were times where Slay was on him one-on-one, -on -one, whether they were playing uh, zone. And, and as we mentioned, Slay had a fantastic game. Yeah, the first third down, I think, was a sim pressure with Reddick and Brandon Graham dropping TJ Edwards. And I forget, I think it might have been Gardner Johnson uh, blitzing. And they got to Cousins. On the first third down of the game? Yeah, or was that an actual blitz? Yeah, CJ's not. CJ's just coming down to cover. He's not blitzing. Uh, okay. Because you have Dalvin stays in to protect, right? But so CJ's just coming down off the roof to be in coverage. That's a, that's a, that's a, a four-man pressure. It's Mike Zimmer to a T, and it was yeah beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Edwards bowled over uh, Dalvin Cook, and then Slay had the coverage there. Uh, the second third down, they double Justin Jefferson. Bradbury gets the PBU on Irv Smith. There was a third down before halftime where they throw a zero blitz at Kirk Cousins. That time, Gardner Johnson was the free rusher. Kirk Cousins yeah. throws the ball away. There was the, the first Slay interception. There are man coverage in the red zone. Javon Hargrave gets some pressure. That's a Great Slay win. interception. Avante Maddox, that was a great interception he had. He's in zone coverage. He's the guy they're trying to read there, uh, whether you throw it behind him or in front of him. He plays it perfectly, gains depth. Uh, Josh Sweat had some pressure on that play. Uh, the Fletcher Cox uh, sack fumble was a pretty big play, I thought, because I, I thought K.J. Osborne kind of ran past James Bradbury mm -hmm. on that play, where if Cox doesn't get to him, I think that's where Cousins was trying to go with the ball. Uh, that certainly 
could have been a big play. I mean, I wrote down zero blitz a bunch of times here in my notes. I think they ran it six times. I was looking it up. Last year, Ben, how many times do you think they ran a zero blitz? What's your guess? Two. It was more than that, but I respect you <laughs> guessing so low that it has to be higher than that. It was 18. They've run it 11 times through two games this season, the second mm-hmm. most in the entire uh, NFL. Yeah. So, yeah, there was another that's, one in the red zone. That's Chauncey Gardner-Johnson right there. When you have a guy who's 12 yards back that you're confident can come upfield and play man coverage from that far back, that's what lets you do that, right? Is like, you know, Chauncey's playing, he's like in the deep half, like, oh yeah, Chauncey's going to be a cover two safety. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's covering a slot receiver because you sent pressure. You can't yeah. do that without a Chauncey. That's cool. Yeah, he did a back-to-back snaps. They had it in the in the red zone. Slay drops the interception and then Slay uh, comes down with the interception. So uh, that was encouraging to see. There was definitely more creativity. I mean, just those zero blitz numbers tells you that they're doing different things than they did last year with uh, with different personnel. Kirk Cousins, when they rushed five or more, four for 12 for 22 yards. When they played man coverage, three for 12 for 38 yards. So man, if you get stuck in a game where you're, all right, you go in, you're saying, all right, we're going to go our split safety zone. We're going to rush with four and you're getting picked apart. There are some tools there. Johnny Gans, don't be afraid to call on them. Take a little bit of a, of a risk and try it out. So those were some of the things that stood out to me with their defense. That Irv Smith drop, by the way, end of the first half, mm-hmm. that was, that was a big play. I mean, if he catches that, that's probably a touchdown, and it's 21-14 potentially going into halftime. But he did not catch it. So sometimes you get lucky with some of those, yeah. and uh, you'll take it. And and that's the exact right thing. Sometimes you get lucky with some of those. That concept is the same concept the Eagles scored on with Quez, right? And the Eagles got speed on the vertical route, and the Vikings got tight end on the vertical route. It's a little bit of like a head fake. What do you want, right? Like, oh, the tight end's not going to be the vertical guy. Oh, it turns out he is. And Chauncey, who, as we know is a safety and must be paid like a safety, but hasn't really played safety that much. <laughs> Not respecting yeah. Irv's speed there, brother. Like doesn't know his depth, doesn't know his angles. Ooh. And that's what we talked about this a little bit after the, the Lions. There's going to be growing pains with Chauncey as late as they acquired him. And with him also like quote unquote changing positions. He knew after that play too, like he went up for the pass breakup, didn't get it. Irv drops it. And he kind of gets up and looks around. And he's like, yeah, that's on me. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be on top of that one <laughs> next time, coach. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Question number five, Ben. Are you willing mm-hmm. to admit that TJ Edwards played a good game? Yeah, great. No, great game, TJ. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This good. Is a good game I was TJ. testing yeah. you. I was saying, did does I know some of Ben's core takes now? Does he adjust his priors based on the game? Is he gonna just gonna stay just that game? I'm not asking you if TJ Edwards huh? is an all pro. That game you will admit he had a great game. Yes. No, good game for <laughs> TJ. Uh you'd still like, you know. He is the guy that you go to pick on in coverage, and they were able to get him in coverage a couple times. He had the, the, the PBU, though. He had his good reps as well. Uh, he's a smart player. I understand what he's doing. He's just limited athletically. So he's a guy you kind of try to hide. Uh, you want to talk about Marcus Epps' angle on the, that, that, the first half touchdown drive coming down against Justin Jefferson? I think it was Jefferson. Might have been Thielen. Epps had a play where he thought he had a pick. And he went to close on the ball and was just like five years behind it. And there was nowhere near making the tackle. Was that a third so down? Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, if, we're, if we're doing, you know, Ben's heels of defensive play, I will skip over Edwards on this game and just go straight to Epps. <laughs> I think you're still. Uh, Epps is a competent, fine safety for them. I don't think he's killing them. 
Uh, I wouldn't say he's a pro bowler, but we'll, we'll yeah. continue to watch. Good game for Edwards, though. And when they're in that five-down stuff, oftentimes Kaiser White is not on the field, which means that Edwards is your only linebacker. Asking a lot from him. That's a big lift. Yeah, I thought this was one of his best games as an Eagle. I mean, he bowls over Cook on that uh, on that pressure and hits Kirk Cousins on third down. He had a nice tackle in space versus Dalvin Cook. He had another tackle for loss when they dumped it off to the flat. And then, like you mentioned, if you're playing man coverage and he's on the field, yeah, you're probably going to find him and see if he can hold up. Uh, he held up well on the one. Irv Smith uh, had a PBU against him on third down. So I thought it was a good game by TJ Edwards. All right, number six, I'm told we actually have a special caller Who's going, to, uh, who's going to ask us our sixth question. Let's get to it. Hello. Please leave a message after the tone. Yo, guys, what's up? It's your boy Donnie from Delco. First time, short time, long time. It's time for me to ask you a question real quick about the Eagles defense. Uh, Jordan Davis, not really being used all that much. Is it utility for Gannon's scheme? Are we just waiting for Jay Gannon to get a job so Vic Fangio can use the big hunkin' man in the middle? I know Fletcher Cox is playing on the outside a bit, but uh, I really don't understand the lack of usage when it comes to him versus Marlon Marion Tatu or however you pronounce his name. I just don't know who the guy is. So I'm just seeing all these snap shares. And Jordan Davis didn't even register like a tackle last week. So, uh, or a quarterback hurry or whatever stats the ESPN guys want to run. So uh, quick question there. Just uh, pro football focusing on the Eagles defense. A lot of love. Uh, keep it easy. And uh, thanks for answering my question. Talk to you. Oh, my gosh. Iconic. So. so- so, so, so good, uh, Cliff. Thank you. Keep having your friends call in. All right, Ben, what do you think? What, what should Jordan Davis's role uh, be here going forward, and what do you expect it to be? While the snap count number didn't go up as much, the usage of that front, right, the usage of like having the five down front and having the outside backers increased. On the first drive, like Davis wasn't in the, there at all. They used Hargrave on the inside, and they used Sweat as a defensive tackle, and then they kind of scrapped that and used other stuff for the, for the ensuing drives. That package is their best package. It was lights out for them. It let them play man coverage. It let them get into their pressure looks. It was everything that we've been talking about that was good for the defense. And it wasn't the best. Like, Davis had a better game week one in terms of the stat sheet, in terms of tackles and stats. But you see the force multiplying effect. You see how, because I can get that guy there, it lets me put Fletch at a rush position and Hargrave at a rush position. That lets me get pressure even when I'm taking one of my two edges, Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick, and I'm dropping one of them into coverage. I got both Fletch and Hargrave lined up in a gap, and I'm letting them get upfield and letting them penetrate. Like, the Hargrave pressure that led to the slay interception, he's rushing from the three-tech. He's at the three-tech outside short of the guard because Jordan Davis is at the nose, right? Like, there's a cascading effect of, of being in this set with him on the field and feeling good about that. Like, Garrett Bradbury got him a couple times. Ed Ingram got him a couple times. Davis is still an upright player. Good NFL offensive lineman can get underneath him and can displace him. It's just he occupies so much space when his feet are in the ground that it makes the job easier on everybody else. So that's why, like, it's... I I brought this up when we first talked about Davis. It's the force multiplying effect. It's the math changing effect. It's what he means to the 10 other players that makes him so valuable. I understand what you're saying. I'll be honest. I I wrote down a complete non-factor in this game. I mean, if you put a different number on Jordan Davis and you told me this is a, a nose tackle, a veteran nose tackle, they signed for the league minimum a week before the season started. Like you said, they just need a big body when they're playing those fronts. 
That's what he looks like. And that's not me crushing Jordan Davis. Let me be clear. If you read, you know, coverage on pretty much any rookie through two games, including Kyle Hamilton in Baltimore, you're going to see a lot of stuff about because it's hard. It's really hard yep. for rookies to come in and be impact players. Uh, I feel like he has a, a ways to go before he is going to be an impact player for this defense. And that's fine. I mean, there are, there are players who don't do anything as a rookie. And then year two, they're fantastic. But if I'm just being honest about as I watch it and I go through and I'm taking notes and maybe it's it's a little of what you said that not everything he does shows up. I'm looking at it going, man, Garrett Bradbury is not a good center and he's handling him pretty easy. And he's not doing much there to even disrupt stuff that's not uh, that doesn't show up in the box score. So that's my evaluation of it. You, you might might uh, feel differently or maybe you kind of agree I, I don't know but the, the thing is like like let's use Hamilton as an example the the Ravens drafted Hamilton because they wanted to be in three safety looks they want to play split field stuff they want to play match coverage you know the guy who could be a center fielder and can also come down Hamilton's struggling Ravens gave up 28 fourth quarter points gave up 42 total points lost the game to the Dolphins Eagles needed Davis because they were not playing this much bare front. They were not playing this much five-man front without him. They got him now. They're, they rotated in week one. They used him more in week two in terms of this specific defensive set, and it's working for them, right? He wasn't playing with the twos. He's playing with the ones. They're using it on early downs. Eagles give up seven points. Like, it is hard to have impact plays from nose tackle. But if you decide schematically, we are going to play with two safeties at 15 yards then you better have a quote-unquote impact player at nose tackle just in terms of the talent level, just in terms of the size and the power and the play recognition. And, like, Davis will become better in terms of, like, impact plays and splash plays when he probably loses, like, 10 pounds, plays with a little bit more flex in his hips, like, gets underneath guys a little bit better, stuff that he could he got away with at Georgia because it was college and now he's at the NFL level and just, like, everything is that much, like, another 10th percentile, another 20th percentile, everything is so much better. But the, like, it's, it's the theory of it with David, with da Jordan Davis, the theory of it with Davis that is most encouraging. Week after week, he's going to get better. And you're going to get your splash plays. But in terms of, like, me and, like, my, like, all the football of it all, this is what I wanted to see in terms of what all 11 are doing when he's on the field. All right, let's move on to number seven. Ben, Johnny Gans calls you up this week. He says, hey, Benny Souls, you grind the tape. You're a bright football mind. Those medicines are wearing off. I think you're going to be sharp enough to help me with this question. You've watched a lot of Carson Wentz in your career. What should my game plan be this week as we take on the Washington football team commanders? I said it on the Monday show. I'll say it again. Just coach as if every opposing quarterback is Kirk Cousins because that's that's good. <laughs> that level of, again, disrespect and, and, and you know, uh, Lack of fear is what, what we like in terms of being a, an aggressor on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the important thing for Washington right now is that starting center, long-time starting center, Chase Roulier is going to be out. He's got an injury. He's out long-term. He's IR'd. They signed a center off the street. They're going to have any changes on the interior offensive line. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but when you lose your point, you lose the center uh, on the offensive line, communication becomes really difficult, especially pre-snap snuff in terms of identifying blitzes, identifying pressure packages. So you're going to want to be back in the, the pressure stuff that you were in earlier, and we know what pressure can do to Wentz, right? Like Wentz is going, you rush four, you rush five, you rush six, you rush seven, you rush three. Wentz is going to make a bad play. He's going to make a good play. Like there's the volatility with him is kind of independent of what you throw at him defensively. 
but you're more likely to generate bad plays the quicker you can get pressure in on him. He's going to try to hang in the pocket. As we've seen, he's going to try to hold onto the football. He's going to try to break tackles. He shouldn't break. The Eagles fans know this. So if you send bodies at him in pressure packages, you get him rolling in the pocket quickly, dropping his eyes quickly. He is prone to making errors. That didn't go away in Indianapolis. It's not going away in Washington. The thing that you're worried about is the Vikings had one dude that you really thought might kill you in man coverage and Justin Jefferson and Darius Slay had an incredible game. Washington's got a few guys. Uh, Terry McLaurin's very good. I thought Jahan Dotson was playing well. Jahan Dotson's playing really well. Jahan Dotson, the rookie out of Penn State, is a doggone good player already. Uh, and then Curtis Samuel, who's a, a speedster and a separator, and they can use him in the backfield and kind of move him around and get good matchups with him. So you're going to be strained on your second and your third guys. Big James Bradbury game, big Avante Maddox game. But if you're trying to pressure Wentz and you're not getting the results that you want and you're losing in man coverage, you can also still become a little bit more passive, play a little bit more zone, expect to still win in the running game because you have the advantage up front, and then wait for Wentz to make his mistake and just kind of let him play himself into that because he eventually will. Uh, And if you're put into that spot... Now it's the Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat conversation where, like we've talked about, they need a guy who can win one-on-one on the edge consistently whenever they're put into those into those positions. I'm, I, I'm with you. I feel like this is a game where you can go in with one thing but be ready to adjust is the big thing. I think I said on Sunday playing, you know, conservative – uh, too deep against Carson Wentz is a fine strategy because he's not going to string together enough plays to hurt you. Just it's only two games, but I feel like he is ta- he's taking the layups maybe a little bit more and not missing those as much as he has in the past. If I saw one area where you were like, all right, maybe he's improving a little bit, that was it. At the same time, we saw it. We saw it on Monday night. That's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Be aggressive. It's a more fun brand of football. Maybe you get burned for a play in the first down, but are you going to create those negative plays? I mean, Carson Wentz took a safety, had an intentional grounding, uh, had an interception in that game last week. Like you are going to be able to produce those negative plays against him. And so I would rather do what you said. You know, go ahead, be aggressive early on. I, I would like right. to rattle him early, get some hits on him early. Maybe you give up a play here and there. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Like you have a good offense where you can compensate for that. You don't have to play so scared. And so that would be my preference. If they come out and they play like they've played in the past, last week aside, and they say, all right, we're going to dare him to methodically move it down the field. I'm not going to crush them right away. If they do that and it's not working and they stick with that and they stick with that then they and they stick with that, then mm-hmm. yes, I am absolutely uh, going to crush them for that. So they really haven't been able to run the ball at all either. I mean, 173 rushing yards through two games, averaging 3.5 yards per carry. If you look at kind of the neutral pass rate, I think they're sixth in the NFL. So we kind of know what they want to do. When Wentz has had time so far and he can push the ball downfield, like you said, he's made some really nice throws. And so that's yeah. like the one thing you kind of want to avoid they do have weapons that can hurt you downfield and you don't want to give him time and make him feel comfortable so i think we're yeah. we're on the same page it, I, i'm interested to say was monday night like this flip like this special game plan that johnny gans has just been cooking up for one game or are we actually going to see these changes going forward that's going to be fun to yeah me to i think see it's on it's it's dials and buttons and tuning right it's well a lot of new personnel we have different packages this year than we had last year Let's figure out what we like and what we don't like. I'm the the pressure stuff is just 
it's so important in the third down stuff. The Eagles are the better team when Washington has the ball at first and second down. There's no question. They have the advantage in the trenches. When Washington runs the ball, they're good. When if they're in their first down passing down stuff, the Eagles under Gannon last night, last year, whenever, tend to be pass first on early downs. We will let you get a little space in the running game if you want it at the cost of playing your play-action pass and playing your deep pass. So you're not going to be able to get the early down deep pass on the Eagles super easily. Third down right now, Washington's offense, is that's where they're surviving. Like, if you watch their games, they keep scoring in bursts, and it's when they get their third down, when they get a, a conversion on a third down, they're able to get an explosive. The Eagles right now are the second-best offense in terms of converting third downs, 56.67%. Washington's third, 56%. So they are, they are living and dying on explosive wins plays on third down. So you're going to get them into third and longs. Dial up pressure, spin safeties, win a third down, get them off the field, build a lead. And then you're in a position where you feel like you can sit and make them inch their way down the field. You don't want to do what Detroit did in week one, let them throw, or excuse me, Jacksonville did in week one, let them throw explosives and get their way back in a game late. So you get early on the forefoot, win a couple third downs, get a lead, and then you can kind of sit back and, and see if this team can really be methodical on their way down the field. All right, question number eight, same question, but it's Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen. Maybe it's a three-way call. I don't know, you're young. Have you ever been on like a, th- you do three, three-way three calls, right? You can still do those on you, cell phones? You, were you about to ask me if I've been on yeah. a three-way? Is that what you're, you're going <laughs> to stop it there? And then you, <laughs> not if I was, that would have been a drop for sure. That would be, that would be a Philly special after dark. But no, I'm familiar that, with the idea okay. of like, okay. like merging a call. Like anytime I call my okay. dad, he's like, let me get your mom on this call. And then yeah. It like takes like he presses nine buttons and it takes a minute, but eventually the call gets in. I don't like doing that. I always, yeah, I always make the other person do that. Like if it's going to be more than two people on a call, I'm not going to be the one with the responsibility to do that. That's too much uh, on my plate and I'm an old man. All right. Sirianni and Stike can call you. How do we attack this Washington defense? What do you tell them? I actually, so it's funny. I'm Amon Ross St. Brown had a quote of a Lions receiver. I was at a great game against Washington where he was basically like, hey, they can't defend bunches. And you're like, okay. And then you watch the first two games, like, man, they can't defend bunches. Uh, the issue with this secondary last year was that they did not know how to communicate. They regularly busted stuff. Jack Del Rio was like, yeah, I'm just going to win with my defensive line, and then everybody back there will be fine. And that's just not the case. And they have the same problems this year. Their linebackers are not good. Uh, Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb. Holcomb's like a good coverage backer, but he does not have the size, the strength, the power to hang against a team like the Eagles and the way they run the football. Jamin Davis, a young player, he's still figuring it out. He regularly kind of gets lost in the sauce, running game and passing game. They don't have the safety play to account for that. They don't have lockdown corners. It's a week back seven. Uh, just get your buckets. Like, this is this is not a, how do we attack this defense? Like, are you going to get constant Devontae Smith speed outs available because they're covering him with Harrison Smith from 15 yards deep? No. Like, you're not going to get that stuff that you got against the Vikings. But you're going to have, you, you expect your one-on-ones to win. I think you're, you expect Dallas Goddard to be really, really effective over the middle of the field because, like I said, coverage-wise, I don't think they have the players they need for that. And you expect your running game to be good because it's like a stout front, but their backers aren't good fitters. So, yeah, like, Deron Payne's going to get a, a first and 10 stop, and it's going to put you behind the sticks. The next time you run on first and 10, you get it past him, you're in the third level, you know, and you're doing that with with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, but also with Jalen Hurts. And with their tackle-breaking ability, you feel good about that. Um, Washington's defense is not... Uh, an intimidating unit at this time. I don't feel like you need anything bespoke when you go and you plan against them. Yeah, that, that's what I had as my note. You don't really don't need to do anything special. Do what you do uh, each week. Yep. Some RPO, some hurts in the run game. Get Brown and Smith involved early. Take your shots downfield when you get single high coverages and get those one-on-ones on the outside. Uh, you can run on them. You can throw on them. Like you said, they've had communication issues. Uh, and even looking back, 
to last year. I mean, the offense played well against Jack Del Rio's defense in week 15 in week 17, Jalen Hurts completed over 71% of his passes and averaged 9.8 yards per attempt in those two games. Now, one thing is I do, I, I don't think you're going to see, uh, you know, like you said, the, the Vikings strategy. I think this will look, at least from a pressure standpoint, more like the Lions. I mean, Washington blitzed Hurts quite a bit last year. Yep. I think it was 38% of the time I, I have here. Uh, so uh, expect that. They'll be a little bit more aggressive trying to get to Hurts and won't just sit back, but still, I, I don't think you need to come up with something special this week. Now, we'll probably be talking here Sunday night. How did the Eagles only score 16 points? What did they do wrong? But uh, we have to call it how we see it going into the game. All right, question number nine. We're still going to mix in some nonsense with some of these questions. So, Ben, I saw you tweet. You're, you were looking for your phone, and your phone was in the fridge. How did your phone end up in the fridge? And then you had a follow-up tweet that know. you washed your wallet. Your wallet is in the washer? Listen, What's going on? I have some tips. I don't tips. know why people are acting like they don't also put their phone in the fridge sometime. This is not the first time I've put my phone in the fridge. Who's not? How are you not putting your phone in the fridge? The phone stays Here's in the pocket or the phone goes right here on the desk. I don't understand. How did this happen? Okay, but right now, if you went from the desk to the fridge to, for example, fill up your water bottle with water from your Brita filter, would you take your phone? Yes or no? Uh, yes. Yeah, right. You just text it as you walk. So I approach the fridge holding my phone. I open the fridge. I go to retrieve the Brita filter. It has more water in it than I previously anticipated. I need a second hand in order to lift it successfully. I do that. I fill my water. I go back to my desk. I'm on my laptop for a couple minutes and I go to look at my phone. It's not there. I check the bathroom. I check my desk. I check the countertop. And then I go, oh, I know where it is. And then I open the fridge and it's right next to the Brita filter. I will that to me is very like that's an understandable sequence of events. No, I will only put my phone in places where I know I'm going to easily be able to see it if I lose it. Normally, I keep it in the pocket. Like if I were going to get water, I would have the air, you know, the earbuds in and be listening uh, to a podcast. So, okay, I, I guess it's not the craziest explanation. I kind of understand it. It's okay. The wallet in the washer, though. I mean, this is do you have a junk drawer okay, in well, the house? Yes, in okay. in the sense that we just moved in. So like okay. there's a drawer that has random things. You know, it's not like, like super established. Usually my wallet goes on on like the the entryway table, right? I have been washing a lot more of my clothing and bedding recently and towels because mm. I have poison ivy and I want to continue okay. to make sure that anything I touch doesn't have any existing uh oil on it. And so uh yesterday I grabbed a bunch of stuff that I've worn and used the last couple of days and threw it into the wash. And I haven't really used my wallet. I haven't really left the house in a couple of days because I have poison ivy. And so <laughs> the wallet was still in my pocket. I didn't realize it. All that right. one also... I haven't done in a while. Usually okay. it's chapstick and then I ruin pants. Okay. I mean, you got to check the pockets before. Now, do you throw the clothes directly into the washer or do you have a hamper? I have a hamper. And okay. listen, as a man who's washed his wallet several times over the course of his teenage and now into his young adult life, I usually am very good at checking my pockets. Like I said, I've watched a lot okay. of chapsticks in my day. I'm really, I'm usually really keyed in on this. I am not off my game this week. I'm kind of dealing with some stuff. And so I did not check the pockets. I just kind of threw it all in the washer and I paid for that. But all my cards still work, so we're chilling. Okay. It's understandable. We'll give you a pass. You have poison ivy. I would recommend to anyone who has these issues, you want to have the drunk junk drawer. Usually it's in the kitchen. It can be anywhere. You just say, this is my drawer. The wallet 
the keys, the wedding ring. If you sometimes take the wedding ring on and off, depending, you know, you're working out or whatever, they all go in there. Whenever you lose them, you know exactly where they are. You're good. And then just, yeah, check those pockets. I mean, you got to check the pockets. I mean, you got to get, the next thing you know, you're going to mess up the washer. You're going to have a new shirt you just bought. And all of a sudden that gets ruined by, listen, well, there's tissue scraps everywhere. I mean, it's just, there's too many bad things can happen when you don't check the pockets. No one's more disappointed in myself than me. With okay. that said, you're like Jalen Hurts. Steven, <laughs> Steven freaking washed his wallet and then was using his passport as ID and then washed his passport. So let's get Ruiz on this podcast because I feel okay. like that is utterly indefensible. Right. Okay. If you do something again like this, we'll have Ruiz on and then I, I can be the old uncle of the uh, Ringer NFL crew and uh, tell you guys what to do. All right. Let's get to the prediction. Eagles commanders. What do you got? Benny Souls Eagles are six and a half point favorites on the road. Division game over under is 47 and a half. How does this yeah. one play so out? Basically, we have what they're telling you is they're expecting about a 26 to 20, 27 to 20 sort of a game. I think that's fair. Uh, I, I would love to come in under on that Washington total, but there's too much potential for explosives. And while we, we had a really good Hurts game and a really good Gannon game, watching it back, I think that we're more likely to see good Hurts games week after week, whereas I think with Gannon, the defense is going to continue to be volatile. I think there's good there's signs that it could be good by the end of the season, but I think, you're like I said, it's going to be dials, and it's going to be fine-tuning, and I think you have that process. So to me, I think more of like, like a 30 to 23, 30 to 20 score makes sense. The Eagles should be a high 20s, low 30-point offense on an average week, and against the Washington defense, that's an average week. Uh as we said, like the only 24 points, no second half points against the Vikings, but a couple bad bounces. Like they very reasonably could have been a 30 point team on that week. And I think they're a 30 point team in this week too. So like 30 to 20 to me feels about right. We have almost the exact same score, Ben. I have Eagles 30, Commanders 23. I see it very similarly to you. I mean, I would be surprised if the Eagles offense came out and wasn't able to move the ball. Now, you always have those games where you turn it over or you're sloppy or there's bad penalties and all of a sudden the point total isn't that high. That certainly could happen here. But if, if you told me they just get shut down and have like 14 first downs and 245 yards total in this game, that would surprise me against this Washington defense. So I, I have faith in the offense, even if it doesn't look as crisp as it did on Monday night. The defense, hey, I'm giving you credit, Johnny Gans, for Monday night. Now let's see it again against Carson Wentz. This should be a guy you should be able to get to, but I'm with you. I wouldn't be surprised if they hit on a couple big plays with their wide receivers or the Eagles have a big lead and then Washington comes back and maybe scores a touchdown or two. So I'm going Eagles 30, Commanders 23. We both have them covering. I think we both are 0-2 with Eagles games against the spread, right? Because I think in week one, we both had them covering. They didn't cover. In week two, we mm -hmm. both had them not covering. They did co and they did and cover. They cover. So straight straight up, we're both 1-1. One one. Against the spread, we're both 0-2. And, and we have similar scores, uh, similar predictions here. So uh, we'll see if we improve or if we don't improve. All right. Thanks yeah. to everybody for listening. Appreciate everyone rating and reviewing. Continue to do that. We will be back Sunday night potentially talking about a 3-0 and Eagles team or a disappointing loss and a 2-1 and Eagles have you, team. Have you done a little schedule peek? I did a little schedule peek today. I haven't. You have? Washington, okay. Jacksonville, Arizona, Dallas, bye week. You know what that smells like? It smells like 6-0 going six, into the bye. 6-0. 6-0 yeah. bet. 
Already jumping ahead, 6-0 going into the bye. I like it. You know, if you're listening, you know you've done it too. You probably looked at all 17. So don't lie and, and do the get mad at Ben. Yeah, you got to do the schedule peak. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. We will be back on the Ringers Philly special on Sunday night.